Jesus. Father, we love you. We praise you. We can't get over to you enough. But we're going to keep trying to tell you how much we love you and we pray for a continual baptism in your love. I pray that, that I will continue to love you more and more and more through giving my life over to you and to your, your call for my life and everyone that is a part of this, that we'll all have the same heart. And we love you, Jesus. We thank you, Holy Spirit. Amen. We're going to talk about the return tonight. This is the title, The Return. And, uh, you know, you don't always have to have a title, but they like to have something to be able to, to log the video with. Um, I will tell you this that I'm under instruction that uh, by at least 8.25 we will be done, um, no matter if I'm in the middle of a sentence or what. So um, that'll give you an opportunity to be um, probably out of here by 8.30 at the most. We're not having a fire drill, <laughs> by the way. You'll understand why in a little bit. But um, so I'm watching the clock. I want to to encourage you to continue, I want to continue to encourage you, you've heard me say a few times um, about watching the return, the, the, was, it was, it was a, wasn't a rally, it was a church service, it wasn't a political rally, so it was really, really wonderful, and so it's, uh, it was on September 26, and it went for, on that day, it went for uh, 11 hours and 55 minutes it's 12 almost 12 hours long the night before the day before there was some and I haven't watched all of that yet I think Candy's watched all of it just about but uh, we've been taking it seg segments so last night we did a couple of hours and and uh, we'd already done several hours and uh, man it's just so powerful it's just incredibly incredibly powerful and um Simultaneously, as you've heard me say, <clears throat> Franklin Graham was having the March, uh, 2020 March, and it was on the, right there, uh, close to, on the Washington, the National Mall, and um, the group, there was thousands, but the group that was in the return service was kind of in front of the national monument and then uh so the the march started at the lincoln memorial with vice president pence praying he was one of the first ones that prayed so i'm going to read just pretty much you know a lot of times i stand up here with just nothing and speak out of my heart and we enjoy that but for the purposes of what we need to accomplish tonight and, and get it said I'm going to read, mo you know, mostly from my notes. Um, if I finish in 30 minutes, that's great. If I finish in, at 8.25, that'll be great. Um, one of the scriptures, I'd say the scripture, and you've heard me quote this, say this, and we've went over it several times, but it was the scripture of the day. It continued to be the scripture of the entire services. Um, was 2 Chronicles 7.14. You don't have to turn there, but it says, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and will heal, heal their land. So this is what the whole 
uh, return service was about. And it was heartfelt prayers of repentance, leaders, and then, you know, Candy and I looked at each other last night when there was a great parade of just no, the nobodies, really. The, and Candy said, yeah, it's the Joe Publix and the Mary Wallpapers. And that's, there was many of them getting up, and they were all praying prayers, a continuous prayer of repentance and revival for our nation. A revival for prayer. It was a, revi- a prayer, uh, a, a call for prayer for revival, cleansing, holiness, and reconciliation to God. I love this because I made note of this. There was no self-seeking agendas. Now, I, you know, I, did, I haven't seen everybody. You may, I don't know, maybe there, there might. But I'll tell you, overall, everything that I've seen, there was no self-seeking agendas agendas there was a repentance for trying to grow churches rather than build a kingdom that was wonderful and i saw that for from you know nationally known ministers down to joe public and mary wallpaper people were it was a continual um prayer of repentance and a desire to see god sweep this nation with holiness and a return to God and a return to holiness and and there was prayers of God forgive us for our objectives being to build in essence mega churches for the purpose of our pride and those kinds of things it's it's not about it's about your kingdom it's about following you one of the things that if you saw it, which was really wonderful, uh, the way that it was accented was the blowing of the shofar, and it was, uh, was an often occurrence throughout that meeting. And the shofar is a big ram's horn, you know. And uh, Jonathan Kahn was, he's a messianic minister. Uh, they, some people call him Rabbi Kahn, but... He's, uh, he did an awesome job of pretty much, he did a lot of emceeing the whole thing and I think really helped produce much of it. But uh, he oftentimes took a lead position and, and, uh, and blew the shofar with people and, and those kinds of things. But that was interesting because with all the repentance and all of everything that was going on and the shofar being blown, um, on July 26th of this year, just two months prior to the September 26th um, meeting, which, as I said, the shofar kind of was an earmark of the whole day, um, our dear Gary Carpenter prophesied this at his service on that Sunday morning and said and I believe it was a Sunday morning, but it was July 26. Can you hear the sound of my shofar? Can you hear the sound of my trumpet? Truly, the Lord of hosts approaches. The Lord of hosts is coming as I have promised. Hallelujah. Endure this season of intense training, says the Lord. Endure this season where, yes, I am stretching many of you. Those who will yield to my spirit, 
I'm stretching you beyond the limits that you have had before of your understandings and of your emotions and, yes, even your own fleshly resistance. I'm doing it on purpose because I'm training you like an army trains its soldiers ahead of the battle so that you will be my anointed ones in this day to come, says the Lord, for I am coming. Hear the sound of the shofar. Hear the sound of the trumpet. The Lord of hosts comes. Be ready, says the Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, those who will endure this season, those who stay until I am finished with you, will be different people than you are today. That which moves you today will not move you then. That which the enemy is counting on will not serve him then. Hear the sound of the shofar. Isn't that amazing? I've never heard Gary talk about the, you know, or pro- and the, the prophecy was like, the shofar is about to be heard in our land. Hear the sound of the shofar. Truly, your call to arms is rapidly coming upon you. Endure this season of training, says the Lord. Hallelujah. Just exactly to the day, two months. Yes, I'm still purging. Yes, I'm still pruning. Yes, you say, I'm already endured so much. I feel like a plant with one stalk. Let me have my way with you, says the Lord. Let me finish. I am the master gardener. I know what I'm doing. I will remove every thorn, and you will only be my fruitful tree in the field of my righteousness, says the Lord. You who have ears to hear, hear the sound of my shofar. Your call to arms is rapidly upon you, says the Lord. Hallelujah. That's prophetic. That's prophetic of, you know, what we just saw. And as again, I, I, and again, I encourage you, if you have not uh, indulged in enjoying those, those services, please, you can get them on YouTube and they'll play for you. And you can just watch them in your home. And uh, we've really been enjoying. There's a type and shadow in the Old Testament that is what I would call the return. And that is Hezekiah's revival. And we've covered that some. I think Gary, I'm sure Gary did a series on it or a few services, uh, maybe one or two lessons. I don't know. Maybe there was more a few years ago on Hezekiah's return. And we're going to turn to Scripture there in just a few moments. And I'm going to, but before we do, I want to read to you a surmising of what Hezekiah's, I would call it Hezekiah's revival because I believe it's a type and shadow of what we're seeing today in the day and hour we live and the return, because the return meant um, the return to God, coming back to God, making a commitment to God of repentance and holiness. But I'm going to read from you, uh, this is from the Believer's Magazine, and it's uh, W. Gustafson. And uh, actually, I wrote this, and I've only got excerpts from it. I didn't do the whole thing, although I'm, I'm going to have to read and look down for a little bit. But this is a surmising of where we'll go into Chronicles in just a moment, and then a little bit into Kings. But I want you to hear this because I thought he did a pretty good job, of, or a real good job, of kind of surmising 
uh, the Hezekiah revival. The two most wicked kings in Judah were Hezekiah's father, Manasseh, and Hezekiah's son, Ahaz. One cannot help wondering how a king so bad could have a son so good, and how a king so good could have a son so bad. Hezekiah and Josiah were the two godliest descendants of David to sit on his throne. Hezekiah, and of course there was a couple more, Asa, Jehoshaphat, I'd throw, kind of throw them in the mix. They were, you know, pretty, pretty good guys. Hezekiah was truly an emergency man of God, for Judah was at the point of delusion. God used him for a recovery that gave Judah a fresh start in testimony and enabled Judah to stay in the land for almost a century and a half after the delusion or dissolving. I said delusion earlier. It's a dissolving of the northern kingdom. Real quick, after Jeroboam and Reboam, those were the two uh, where the two kingdoms split. Solomon's son took the lower southern kingdom that was called Judah. I think Judah and the small tribe of Benjamin went with him. The ten northern kingdoms were Israel, considered the nation of Israel, and they were all Israelites, but they were termed Judah versus Israel. And they actually had civil war at times for, you know, because there were centuries that they were separated. And um, you never find any good king in the north, never. But there was, at times, sparsely, there were good kings in the south. And Hezekiah was one of those good kings. And, and of course, um, as this starts out and says that, you know, uh, you know he, he was from Manasseh, which was a horrible king. Manasseh was one of those ones. If you read about him, once, once you start reading about, he call, the word says he caused his children to pass through the fire. Uh, means that he actually sa- sacrificed them to uh to other gods and so i uh, gary actually did some stuff on that this past week but let me continue on this worshiping god was very important to the chronicle to the chronicler so he recorded in second chronicles 29 that the temple was cleansed and rededicated in order that both the passover and the regular worship could be reinstated and of course he's talking about hezekiah's revival the first step that hezekiah took to turn Judah back to God was to open and repair the doors which had been shut by his father. Repairing them included overlaying them with gold, and this was the beginning of the longest account of any revival in Bible history. It began both at the right time and the right place. The revival began at the right time, that is immediately the first as the word says, in the first year of his reign, in the first month, Second Chronicles 29.3, verse 17 adds, on the first day of the month, um, and, and the author says it's easier to take a right stand at the beginning than to shift it later. We are at a point, if, uh, and I, I put this in here, we are at a point, if critical mass with this nation, in other, in other words, of critical mass with this nation, in other words, you understand this, that if we don't take a stand now and if things don't go, then there's no turning back. There's abs- there will come absolute judgment for this nation. It's abs- so we're at, a, we're at a crisis point. 
As a wise king, Hezekiah assembled the priests and the Levites for the work of the cleansing of the temple, work that only they could do according to the instruction of God's word. Hezekiah not only began at the right time, but in the right place. Judah was paying tribute to the Assyrians. Hezekiah knew that before dealing with the Assyrians, the most important thing was a right relationship with God. He followed the priority that the Lord Jesus would later emphasize in Matthew 6, but seek you first the kingdom of God, his righteousness. This revival began in the heart of Hezekiah, for we read these words, his words, now it is in my heart. Second Chronicles 29.10, God, God's interests so gripped his heart that by God using him, he was able to affect the hearts of all the people. Also in Judah, the hand of God was to give them one heart to do the commandment of the king and of the princes by the word of the Lord. And that's Second uh, Chronicles 30, verse 12. The, shepherd, the shepherd's heart of the king led him to command that sin offerings should be made for all Israel, an expression emphasized by its... Uh, repetition in the verse this preparation this prepared the way for hezekiah to invite all of israel including the 10 northern tribes to the passover ultimately that gave those sacrifices value that was that they pointed towards the perfect sacrifice of christ i'm going to stop right there for just a second and i need to to move on but um, when you read the story of hezekiah his first objective was before i can deal with the assyrians I've got to deal with us, and I've got to restore this. Now, the Assyrians were right at their door, and they were having to pay tribute to them. Sennacherib, which the Assyrian king, came and basically was right outside of the gates at one time, or just not far from them, and he sent messengers, and, you know, it was really all over for them. And, and so because of where Hezekiah was walking, that's the time which you read in Scripture that the Lord sent the angel that in the night killed 185,000 Assyrians in one night. The Bible says when they got up the next morning, there was corpses everywhere. It didn't even kill the, I'll tell you, the army was so big that Sennacherib, that's the king, the Assyrian king, he went back home with whatever he had left over and uh, he himself was assassinated by his two sons. But God just, you know, the power of what God did in Hezekiah's life was incredible. The return to the word of God in this section, it says, there was a return to the word of God in the cleansing of the temple at the very beginning of Hezekiah's reign. Everything for, everything for the cleansing was done according to the commandments of the king by the word of the Lord. In these three chapters, God's word is referred to in different ways. So it goes in to talk about how he loved the word of God and how he wanted to restore it. Hezekiah's wicked father, Asa, uh, uh, wicked father Ahaz, and I said Manasseh was his father, but uh, Ahaz was his father, Manasseh was his son, was on the throne. Isaiah wrote, when he was on the throne, Isaiah wrote to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Ahaz did not respond well, but in a great contrast to him, Hezekiah responded wonderfully. May the Lord encourage every one of us to respond well to the word of God in our lives. So he goes on, and there's more 
that I could read here uh, in my notes, but I'm pressed to go forward. Let's go to 2 Chronicles chapter 29 and verse 1, because we'll look at this in a sense of where we're at today. And by the way, of course, maybe you suspected that what I want to give you the opportunity, I can't command you to do this, and it's up to your leisure, but you'll have approximately 30 minutes uh, to get home uh, to be able to listen to the vice presidential debates tonight. And I think us engaging in this and me sharing what I'm sharing tonight is so vitally important for us to begin to believe that our nation is turning through our prayers. I've been believing for a long time, even from the very beginning, uh, uh, at the beginning of uh, President Trump's administration, that God was grooming our vice president to be our, our president in days ahead. So I'm believing God uh, that in 2024, he becomes that, our president at that time. And so, uh, of course, as you well know, he is born again. Uh, it is, is, it's been said, it's been talked about, there's been somewhat validations that he speaks in tongues. So um, uh, we know where he stands. And he, he started off the march the other day with a very powerful prayer in the name of Jesus. So 2 Corinthians chapter 29 says this, concerning this revival, and I call it a revival because it was a revival and it was a return to God. Hezekiah began to reign when he was five and twenty years old, and he reigned, uh, reigned nine and twenty years in Jerusalem. And his mother, named Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. And so this, this, is, this is another thing that's amazing that you look at this, and I, the, the author that we just read from said, I don't understand why you know, a man with a, such a wicked father and such a wicked son could become so um, used of God and have such a heart for God. But if you look at this, and I did some study on this because I wondered if this was the Zechariah uh, of the prophets, and it is. And so this Abai, you'll, she's named, or Abijah, in, uh, in, in Kings, they just spell her name A-B-I, but she was the daughter of Zechariah, and of course, the, the mothers were responsible. The kings would have the kids, they'd have harems, and the mothers took the child and raised him. So she raised Hezekiah to know the Lord, because her father was a prophet, and her father followed God. So that's interesting, but verse 2 says, and he did that which was right, in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David, his father, had done. He, in the first year of his reign, and in the first month, opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. And he brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them together in the east street and said unto them, Hear me, ye Levites, sanctify yourselves and satisfy the house of the Lord God of your fathers and carry forth the filthiness out of the holy place the filthiness that was in there. For our fathers have trespassed and done that which is evil in the sight of the Lord. Our gods have forsaken him and have turned away their faces from the habitation of the Lord and turned their backs 
Also, they have shut up the doors of the porch and put out the lamps and have not burned incense nor offered burnt offerings in the holy place unto the God of Israel. Wherefore, the wrath of the Lord has, was upon Judah and Jerusalem, and he hath delivered them to trouble and to astonishment and hissing as you see with your eyes. Remember this, because of what he did, it was another 150 years now they both, north and south, went into complete uh, exile or to bondage to, to, to Nebuchadnezzar. The Assyrians basically were um, transcended or, you know, Babylon took over the, the, the power and authority of the world. And eventually the, the, north, the southern kingdom falls as well and they're taken away. But what Hezekiah did extended liberty for Judah for another 150 years. So, my God, let's, make a, let's do something now in the spirit that extends this revival for up till the time Jesus comes back. For lo, our fathers, he says, have fallen by the sword, and our sons and our daughters and our wives are in captivity for this. Now it is in my heart, listen to what he said, it's in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord, God of Israel, that his fierce wrath may turn away from us. Wonderful job, mother. She put something in him. I'm telling you, this man's heart was, was right with God for this purpose. My sons, be not now negligent, for the Lord hath chosen you to stand before him and serve him that ye should minister unto him and burn incense. And he talks about the Levites here, and I'm going to skip all these, mumbling through all these names, down to verse 15. And they, all these got together, and they gathered their brethren and sanctified themselves and came according to the commandment of the king by the words of the Lord to cleanse the house of the Lord. And the priests went in to the inner part of the house of the Lord and cleansed it and brought out all the uncleanliness that they found in the temple of the Lord into the court of the house of the Lord. And the Levites took it and carried it out abroad and basically threw it in the brook Kidron. All this, whatever was pollution or whatever was, you know, a defilement. And so the chapter 30, we go right into Hezekiah. He sent, and Hezekiah sent to all Israel. This is where he's asking for the return. This is where he's asking for repentance. This is where he's saying, let's get back to God. Let's cleanse ourselves. We've been backslidden. But Hezekiah sent to all of Israel and Judah and wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh that they should come to the house of the Lord, to Jerusalem, to keep the Passover unto the Lord God of Israel. For the king had taken counsel of his princes and all the congregation in Jerusalem to keep the Passover in the second month. For they could not keep it at that time because the priests had not sanctified themselves sufficiently, neither had the people gathered themselves together in Jerusalem. And the thing pleased the king and all the congregation. So they established a decree to make a proclamation throughout all of Israel, from Bathsheba even to Dan, and that they should come to keep the Passover unto the Lord. See, this wasn't being done. There was no Passover being t taken place. It was just... You know, they backslid and they had totally forgotten who they were. Their identity was total identity crisis. To keep the Passover unto the Lord God of Israel at Jerusalem, for they had not done it in a long time such sort as it is written. 
So the post, or that's the, the messengers, they went with the letters from the king and his princes throughout all of Ju Israel and Judea and Judah, according to the commandment of the king, saying, You children of Israel, turn again unto the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, and he will return to the remnant of you that are escaped out of the hands of the kings of uh, Syria. So he not only sent to the southern kingdom, he sent up messengers to the northern parts as well, saying, you ten tribes, come join us. We're all J Israelites. Come to Jerusalem. Come to the south. Come to the... We're, we're, we're wanting to be restored. We want to return. We're going to sacrifice the Passover. We're going to sacrifice our trespass offerings. We're going to say, God, forgive us for forsaking the law. We want to come back to God. This is what we're, we're hearing a cry of our you know, of, of the people today. And I said to Candy the other night, I watched this, and I said, Candy, there's a whole lot more. I do know this. There was a whole lot more of us as I watched this and as I watched pastors from all over. The now, listen, you can get nitpicky, and you can put anything under a microscope, and you can get, you can get a critical attitude, and you can say, well, and I don't know what all of them, where they were at on tongues and, you know, their longevity or how much they pray and all those kinds of things. That wasn't the issue. The issue was a sincere heart of repentance, of holiness, and a prayer to saying, God, come back. We invite you. We repent. We know we're wrong. Please cleanse us. And so I, I saw that, and, I, and you know, it just, I know that God heard those prayers. I really do. And he says in verse 7, And be not ye like your fathers and like the brethren which trespassed against the Lord God, of their fathers, who therefore gave them up to desolation, as you see. Now don't be stiff-necked, he said, as your fathers were, but yield yourself unto the Lord, and enter into the sanctuary which he hath sanctified forever, and serve the Lord your God, that the fierceness of, the fierceness of his wrath may turn away from you. If, you. if ye turn again unto the Lord, your brethren and your children shall find compassion before them that led them captive, so that they may shall that, so that they shall come again into this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful, and will not turn away His face from you, if ye return unto Him. Return unto Him. He said, "You guys, you were led away captive. Even the northern kingdom, you've already much of you've already been led away. But if you'll repent." God will restore you. He'll bring you. He'll bring your families back. So the post passed from city to city through the country of Ephraim and Manasseh, even to Zebulun. But they laughed them to scorn and mocked them. This is that's the backslidden church right there. You're always going to have back. That's the 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 apost, apostasy, the, ap, the the church that has apostatized, gone. And these are the ones that have scorched their conscience. Their their conscience is seared with a hot iron. So they, they're not, no matter what repentance is being preached today, they're, they're not hearing it. So nevertheless, different ones of divers of Asher, uh, Manasseh, and of Zebulun uh, humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. Also in Judah, the hand of God was to give them one heart to do the commandment of the king and of the pr princes by the word of the Lord. And there assembled at Jerusalem much people to keep the feast of the unleavened bread in the second month. 
of the great congregation. And they arose and took away the altars that were in Jerusalem, and all the altars for incense took they away and cast them in the brook of Kidron. Well, he's talking about the altars to false gods, okay? And they killed the Passover on the 14th day of the second month. I mean, I like, don't you, do you ever have days where you just like throwing away stuff? Candy and I will get on a binge, you know, and we'll just like, we, I, I'd rather buy it again than keep it because it's been around too long. I mean, my God, if, if we haven't used it in two, and like, you know, it, we got a rule. If you haven't used it in the last year or two, throw it away. I, honestly, honestly, I'd rather go buy another one than to say, let's keep it. So glory to God. What's that? <laughs> Gay stores her stuff at Walmart. Glory to God. She's a woman after my own heart. And so he was on this binge, like, throw, throw everything away. Anything that looks like creepy, if it's got creepy on it, throw it away. If it looks like an abomination. And then they killed the Passover on the 14th day of the second month. And the priests and the Levites were ashamed. and means they were convicted and, and sanctified themselves and brought in the burnt offerings unto the house of the Lord. And they stood in their place after their manner, according to the law of Moses, because they didn't even know how to act anymore in the house of God. The, uh, the law of the Moses, the man of God. The priests sprinkled the blood which they received of the hands of the Levites, for there were many in the congregation that were not sanctified. Therefore the Levites had, had the charge of the killing of the Passover for everyone that was not cleansed to sanctify them to the Lord. For the multitude uh, of the people, even um, many of Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar, and Zebulun had not cleansed themselves Yet did they eat the Passover otherwise than it is written. But Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, The good Lord pardon every one of you that prepareth his heart to seek the Lord, the Lord of his fathers, though he be not cleansed according to the purification of the, sanct of the sanctuary. And the Lord uh, hearkened to Hezekiah and healed the people. Hallelujah. So this is so neat because... Uh, all of the jots and tittles of the law was not yet, they didn't have time to perform it. The priests couldn't get themselves in what they called the cleansing, all of it. If you'd been doing it all the time, then you'd have went through all those steps and you'd had, and the people had to have some kind of sanctifying you know, process to be worthy to eat the Passover lamb or whatever. But it, it just came about you know, bam, revival was there. And Hezekiah realizes, and the priests are saying, we don't, if you want us to sacrifice, the, if, if this is what you're after, we don't have time to get the people, you know, cleansed like the law says. And, the, and Hezekiah said, Lord, because they're sanctifying their hearts, will you please just heal them all? And God said, yes, praise the Lord. You know, there's a game that is the, the most uh, age-old game among kids that, that I can possibly think of. And my grandkids play it every Sunday. It's called hide-and-seek. So they, all those grandkids are, you know, they're, they're running through this, the, the house. And uh, I looked over Sunday. I had ate and come in, and they were all playing it. And one of them is up underneath the coffee table right there next to me. You know, right there. And she's just there for the longest time, and I'm not telling anybody where she's at. So she's just under there. She's, she's under there, for, and it was Drea. She was under there forever. But the thing that all kids say when they count to the 10 or the 20 or whatever, 
ready or not, here I come. And that's the message God is said to them, and that's the message he's saying to us, ready or not, here I come. Revival is among you. I hope you've been doing your homework, but ready or not, here I come. I'm here. Glory to God, this revival is going to take place. Revival begins in judgment at the house of God. Now, I'll just read this. If you want to turn there, you could, but it's 1 Peter 4, 12. This is where revival begins. It's judgment, judgment of the house of God. This is the, the beginning, uh, the, the, the first embers of, of revival. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. Verse 13, but rejoice inasmuch as that you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that his glory, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. And on their part, he's evil spoken of, but on your part, he's glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, as a thief, as an evildoer, as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time has come, and, and I'm telling you this is prophetic, time is now, that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin with us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, and you know I've taught on that, the word scarcely means critically. It means that God is holding us to a standard that we can't say, well, the, the world does it. Well, we're not the world. We are, we are Christ in us, the hope of glory. If the righteous scarcely or critically be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? In other words, the plumb line is this. This is the, this is the, this is the place. This is the standard. Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their soul to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. Now, we're going to go back to the Old Testament for a moment because you know in Kings and in Chronicles, if you read through those, those are kind of duplicates. You know, they, you'll get the same story out of Chronicles that you got previously out of Kings. So, let's go to 2 Kings, and we're going to just look at a snippet of this. won't read as much, nearly as much. But I saw this months ago, and I thought, man, what an incredible illustration um, that is in this passage, and it's concerning Hezekiah's revival, but this is incredible. 2 Kings 18, 1, chapter 18, verse 1. Now it came to pass in the third year of Hoshea, son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. Twenty and five years old was he when he began to reign, and he reigned twenty and nine years in Jerusalem. His mother was Abai, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father did. And he removed the high places. Now watch this, and, and look at this very carefully with me. He removed the high places that we know that is all those crazy altars that were made to crazy gods and gods that sacrificed their children to and break the images. In other words, he, he removed the altars, break the images, and cut down the groves. These were the sacrificial places. Then it says this, and break in pieces, 
the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it, and he called it Nehastan, Nashat, whatever, that guy, or that, that, that term. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any that, we're going to back up to this verse in just a moment, I'll just read these last two, nor any that were before him. For he clave to the Lord and departed not from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord commanded Moses. To read verse 4 again is my point. He removed the high places and break the, the, the images and cut down the groves, and he broke in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. This is incredible. This is how many of you know about, and most of you, because we've went over it, the scripture talks about the brazen serpent. The story is this, that the brazen, or that when, it was one of those times where Israel was going through the wilderness with Moses. It was a rebellious time. The Bible says the Lord sent fiery serpents to judge Israel. They came in and they were like, these snakes were all biting the people and they were dying. They were just falling over dead. And the Lord, Moses inquired of the Lord, God, how do we, it was, it was comparable to a plague. I mean, every, you know, everybody, you, you, everywhere you turned, they were getting bit by snakes and it was a judgment. And the Lord said, I want you to take and mold a, create a, a serpent, a brazen serpent, and place it on a rod and place it high above Israel, above the, and everyone that looks upon the brazen serpent will be healed. Even if they've been bit, they will be healed. And the plague or the, you know, what was the curse? It was stayed or the people that were dying could look immediately was healed. Well, the whole thing is this, that was a typification or that was a shadow of Jesus Christ. And somebody said, wow, a serpent's wicked. We understand Satan. What it's, what it's showing there is this, that, the, that he who knew no sin became sin for us. He who was the spotless lamb, the word says that he who knew no sin became sin for us. He not only died under the penalty of sin, he actually became sin. That's when he, Father, you know, why, has, why have you forsaken me? Well, he forsook him because... He received the sins of all mankind, and his spirit, which was alive, like our spirit is alive, actually died, and that spirit went to hell. We say, well, why, then why didn't he stay there if he was a dead sinner? Because it wasn't his sin that he had created. It was our sins that he died under, and he was under a promise of the Father. The word of God had told, told him, son, I will deliver you if you will do this. And so he became sin for us. And in sin, he became sickness. He became the penalty of sin, which is sickness. So that brazen serpent that was up there on the pole was something at that moment in time for all those thousands of Israelites that were being bitten. It was something holy. It was something absolutely holy unto to the, to, to them. And it was a, and amazing enough, somehow that which, because we're looking, Hezekiah is, I didn't study it, I'd say 
hundreds, maybe, maybe, maybe way over a thousand, maybe a couple of thousand years past Moses. A long time. Okay, I could, you know, I could look it up tomorrow. I maybe should have, but it was a long, it was hunt. Somehow this relic of this brazen serpent had survived the wilderness, had survived, and it was there where the people could look on it. But it says the children of incense or the children of the day were taking and burning incense to it. In other words, they were worshiping it. That which was holy had become a lie because they were now, and I'll read my notes, and I said I'd recount the brazen serpent story of the wilderness. Notice that that which was once holy became a lie of adultery. That which was once a wonderful truth as Christ the healer had been perverted to worship the image rather than the one it was to present. And, and Hezekiah said, no, not even that which was once holy will I allow. This is Peter, this is First Peter, judgment begins at the house of God. How critical was this judgment? He's, you know, he said, you're burning incense to it. It was never meant to be worshipped. The, 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 what it was speaking of was Christ whether or not anybody totally understood. It was an image of Christ one day coming for us. And it says that he broke it up, he, he destroyed it. Hezekiah said, no, you're not going to any longer turn the truth of God into a lie by making it an idol. That, that revival went deep, brother. That revival in Old Testament symbology went deep because he took what was a relic and said, Oh, it was holy, but now you've taken the holy thing and turned it into a lie. So you'll no longer have the image in front of you of idolatry to use this in a wrong way. I've got to, I've got to move on. The church, listen, I'll just read from now on. The church took the most wonderful message of God's love called grace and turned it into a lie called hypergrace. The backslidden church, or the backslidden church and the backslidden preachers took the perfect message of grace and perverted it by making it an idol of something that it was never was to be presented, a license to sin without penalty. They created a false Jesus that does not exist and put him on a rod above the congregation and said, this is the Jesus that we now serve. Okay, that's one thing. But Hezekiah, and I'll say this in, in contrast or in, in where we're at now, but Hezekiah's revival would not stand for it and neither will we. The brazen serpent of idol worship in false doctrine will be destroyed in this revival. Paul in one place said, and they're not going to continue any longer. He was speaking to one particular church. This is another thing concerning the breed. The church, here's another aspect. The church that took the perfect, the church took the perfect message of prosperity and according to God's word and perverted it into a self-seeking pursuit of God's financial blessings for themselves. The motive for giving was not the harvest, but the motive for giving was to get. Brother Hagen, told, Brother Hagen wrote the Midas 
touch, and he brought in a lot of his sons. And he said, this is wrong what y'all are doing. And they, many of them scoffed him. Many, I heard the story of many of them said, uh-uh, he's the old man's wrong. They made, they made an idol, a brazen serpent of prosperity, which is a pure message in God's word, and said, this is the God that we'll serve. They created a false God. Okay? The perversion in the hearts of many prosperity preachers took the brazen serpent of truth of prosperity and put it on a rod above the church to be worshipped of itself. And as I said, Kenneth Hagin did such an, uh, a masterful job in writing The Midas Touch. In the return, this is our return I'm talking about, the brazen servant of self-centered prosperity will be broken apart. Now here's another aspect. The church and the backslidden preachers took the thing that is closest to the heart of God, which is corporate worship and intimacy, and has perverted it by making it a thing of show and performance. Hollywood-style performance replaced the anointing of God. Excellency in voice performance and music instruments became the worship rather than the one to be worshipped. When I was in college, you know, I've mostly always sang lead, or they call it melody. I wasn't really, you know, I never was taught parts, but there was, at one point, I was at this church where this man was an incredible, he, he would actually was a performing artist, or been in bands where, you know, he was a recording, you know, studio artist and stuff, and he was, he, I remember how mean he was, because he wanted everybody perfect, perfect in pitch, and perfect in harmony, and perfect in, you know, and I was basically sometimes in a lead, and sometimes singing like baritone or something, and the church has traded the They've got an excellence. We do, an ex, we do everything in excellency of spirit. No, you have lost the anointing. You've put a brazen serpent on a pole with your, you know, your fog machines and, <laughs> as Mario Morello says, your skinny jeans, fog machines, and big screens and fog whatever. <laughs> Once again, that which was precious and perfect became the idol of the brazen serpent placed on a rod and raised above the people to say this is that this is what worship looks like. And God says, no, it, it's not. That's an abomination. In this return, the one I'm talking about, as it was in Hezekiah's revival, false corporate worship is coming down. You know, there are still going to be some mega churches that do it and whatever, but people that are hungry will migrate away from them. They'll just migrate away. from. They'll, they'll see the facade. They'll see the performance. Now, if you can do something and sound good, wonderful. But I want the anointing. Hallelujah. In the return as Hezekiah's revival, false corporate worship is coming down. The idol of false worship, as I said, will be destroyed. Tonight, the vice presidential debates are taking place. It's between Michael Pence and Kamala Harris. Michael Pence, uh, as I said, I'm praying for him to be our president in four years. I believe he's going to make it one. Let's pray tonight as if you get a chance to watch that he is, um, walks in the anointing. Our, our president, I love him, but he runs ahead of the Holy Ghost sometimes. He just runs way ahead. If he had just slowed down, 
if I could tell him anything, and I know he, he's, you know, I, I'll never get that opportunity, I don't think, but I'd say, sir, the word says, be slow to speak, okay? The Holy Ghost will anoint you. He outruns the Holy Ghost, because the Christians are praying for him, but he outruns the Holy Ghost. Take a breath, step back, and let, the, let God speak through you, okay? Let's pray that Michael, our, our president, vice president, does it differently. Kamala Harris is one of the most radical left-wing Democrats. Miss Harris is a senator from the state of California. Her state has just recently legalized sex with a minor, pedophilia. pedophilia. Gary just read that. They would not prosecute a 24-year-old from having certain type of sex with a 14-year-old a, a girl. Um, and so in their, the end result was now they've made it kind of legal in that state. The Democratic Party is fighting against the confirming of Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court primarily because of her Christian conservative roots. Charles Ellis Schumer, who is the, the Senate's uh, minority leader for the Democratic Party, may have said it best the other day, and I heard it, Kenny and I were, oh, <laughs> may have said it best the other day in his statement in a reflection of where the Democratic Party is at presently. Mr. Schumer, in his, I would say, seeking sympathy voice, he sounded very pitiful when he said it. And this is almost, it's very close, but maybe not verbatim. He said, this nomination to the Supreme Court, speaking of Miss Barrett, hits close to home, he said. My daughter looked at me the other day and said, does this mean that I might not be able to be remain married to my wife as a result of this nomination? Did you hear that? His daughter said to her father, basically, Dad, does this mean that maybe my marriage to my wife? <laughs> I, Homer <laughs> said, I hope so. And Mr. Schumer, I, I pray so. I pray so. Nobody will ever stop you from those people from being together. But I pray it come to the hour that marriage is redefined as it should be some christians and preachers now i'm i'm okay i'm i'm probably have to go to you're gonna have to rush out of here and okay i i it is but i got just a couple minutes some christians and preachers say that nothing should ever be said from the pulpit in reflection concerning politics and the church many of these men are spineless and many of them are backslidden there's not a, this is not a matter of politics, it's a matter of righteousness and, and evil. We didn't go to pick the fight, they've come on our territory. They've come over here, they've invaded us. And we can't be silent any longer, we can't say, okay, I can't say anything. Listen, if you're a panty-waist pastor and you won't tell your people, according to the Word of God, how they should vote, you need to get out of the ministry. You need to, you need to, you need to shuck it, brother, you need to be gone. The church can no longer stay silent because their decisions are now invading our lives in the church with evil from the outside. If we do not return now, the greatest judgment that this nation has ever seen will soon be coming. 
But with God's grace, through our prayers, a return and a revival is among us. All things are possible to the, him that believes. I believe that this nation can so have a revival that abortion is abolished in our land. Amen? I believe that this nation can so have a revival that the same-sex marriage is outlawed once again. Hallelujah. And I'll just say in closing, um, Andrea Mathis sent me some books the other day. Thank you, Andrea. Um, and so I've read this one. This is Vessels of Fire and Glory by Mario Mello Morello, and it's, uh, it's excellent. It's excellent. I, you know, I've read the whole thing, and uh, it's, it's an easy read. It's double-spaced, and, and thank you, uh, Andrea. Everybody say, thank you, Andrea. <laughs> by the way, Andrea's going to, we're going to pull her, your arm until she comes over here and worships with us, does a worship. Everybody say, Andrea. When are you coming? <laughs> okay. This is excellent. I know, I, you know, I've seen Gay reading hers, and, and I've told Candy, you've got to read this. I, I didn't find anything in this that the man is, uh, he's so much like us, so much in, um, he, he just believes it's crucial for you to speak in tongues. Crucial for you to speak in tongues. He is against the hyper- Grace Church, um, and just just real quickly, um, there there's so much here. I could, I could go into it. I just I'm telling you what is in here is, you know, I didn't I didn't preach the message from here, but he's got a message just like like we have. So praise the Lord, Amen. What's that? Eight dollars on Amazon. That's they're cheap. So he's just really wanting you to to read you know, for the purpose of, hallelujah, let's all stand. Well, Father, we thank you and we praise you. We pray, Lord, for Vice President Pence. We pray that he will walk in your anointing, that he will listen, and that, Lord, that the answers that he gives will be anointed by God. We pray for the reelection of President Trump. We pray for Kamala Harris and... Mr. Biden, that, Lord, that your hand will be upon their life and that they will be born again and the hand of God will guide them and lead them. But, that Lord God, that, Lord, righteousness will prevail and that, Lord God, the words of the unrighteous will fall to nothing and that, Lord God, you will cause righteousness to be um, established in our land once again because of the return that's taking place. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. God bless you.